In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who comes in order to give us sanctuary. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we started off today talking about who your favorite Christmas villain was. And, and there, there, while Christmas is one of those holidays that doesn't seem to have many, Christmas, many villains, there are some villains in Christmas. Probably the chief of these villains is the Grinch. That uh, guy whose heart is filled with old banana peels and whose head is filled with spiders and all sorts of gross stuff. And he's one of those Christmas villains. But you have some other Christmas villains who show up in different Christmas stories and different Christmas movies. So you have Ebenezer Scrooge who kind of starts off as a Christmas villain and then is rehabilitated by being visited by three different ghosts. You have uh, Hans Gruber who shows up in the Die Hard movie and um, uh, does not get rehabilitated, but rather just gets vanquished. <laughs> and uh, you, you, you have um, uh, Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life, the, the sort of old curmudgeonly guy who is intent on uh, George Bailey not uh, keeping the, the savings and loan place that he owns. You, you have all of these sort of Christmas villains that show up in our Christmas stories. And, and a part of that is because we recognize that in order to be a story in our world, there needs to be a villain. And there needs to be a villain in the stories in our world because we live in a world that's filled with sin. And because of that, there are villains and wickedness and all sorts of evil that come about. And so a, a story that, that doesn't have a villain, if it goes on for very long, just starts to ring false. There's something about it that even when you're watching one of those cheesy Hallmark movies, that there's somebody who's sort of a quasi-villain who shows up in, in one of those stories. And so the, the question then becomes, who's your Christmas villain this Christmas? Who is the, the villain in your story? And, and the villain in, in this story that we have today is a pretty clear villain, right? He, he's the Christmas villain, if, if you look at the Christmas story uh, in, in Scripture. Herod the Great. Sort of an ironic name for the bit bad and evil stuff that he does. Herod the Great, a, a guy who um, a, was sort of the, this political mover and shaker. He, he started off life, uh, start, started off life in, in a way where he started to make these allies with the Romans who were who, who had taken over the area of Judea, and he start, started making friends there, and they, they put him in as ethnarch of Judea. Now, what an ethnarch is, is it's a monarch, but just over an ethnic group. So, basically, the Romans said, uh, you can do whatever you want with the Jewish people. We don't care. Kill them, don't kill them, eh, whatever. Um, eh, but they're yours, and we want you to take care of them, and we want you to make sure that they don't eh, rise up against Rome. And by the way, there's going to be certain stipulations on this, but generally speaking, you can do whatever you want. 
And, uh, and so uh, he, he rose to power very quickly, which was kind of strange for him because he, he was sort of seen as a foreigner. He was seen as somebody who wasn't legitimately Jewish. And the reason for that is that his line comes from a place called Edom. Now, um, Edom shows up in the book of Obadiah in a big way, but you've never read Obadiah. So, um, uh, so, so you probably know Edom from the person who started the line of Edom, which is this guy named Esau. And you go, I remember that guy. He was hairy. And, and he was hairy. He, he was the guy, he was the son of Jacob who was hairy. And then Jacob goes in, and Jacob was not hairy. We don't know how the DNA worked out there. He goes in, and he was not hairy, but he pretended to be Esau uh, by putting goat skin on his arm so that, that Jacob would say, oh, okay, or Isaac would say, okay, this is, is my, my, son Jake, or my son Esau. And he stole the birthright. And then after that, well, Esau's kind of understandably a little bit peeved. And so from that point on, there, there comes to be this sort of separation between the people of Israel and the people of Edom. Edom means red, and that was one of the other characteristics of Esau, was that he was sort of red-colored. And so uh, this haired guy, he was an Edomite. He was from a different tribe, he was maybe not from exactly a rival tribe. So, you know, if you're a Florida State fan, it wasn't exactly like he was UF. It was kind of sort of more like he was NC State. Just kind of like, oh, we don't like them either. Uh, and, and so he had this sort of foreign lineage that, that now he is ethnarch of Judea and the people that are in Judea are, are, are possibly going to rise up against him at any point in time because he's not legitimately Jewish. And so he gets, well, understandably kind of paranoid. And he gets super paranoid, in fact, to the point where he starts just executing people willy-nilly. He even executes his wife because of the family that she's from. And so you, you start to see his character developing here. He's not a good guy. He's this guy who's paranoid. He, he's afraid of things. He's willing to follow that paranoia even into murder. And so when it gets to this point where we read in the story that he goes and he destroys all of the babies. He murders all all of the babies who were two years old and younger in the vicinity of where Jesus was, you start to go, that is probably the worst Christmas villain. I mean, the Grinch has got nothing on this guy. This is the worst person perhaps that we can even think of right now. Now, we don't know how many children this was. We know that, uh, that Bethlehem was a, a sort of small town, but we, we do understand that it was probably a number of children, two years old and younger, who were put to death by this assassin squad that Herod sends out because, oh no, there might be somebody who's coming after his throne. And so we go, okay, well, 
You know, you ask the question, Pastor Jay, who, who's my Christmas villain? I think I've got him. But, but you kind of wonder, okay, well, where does all of that stuff come from in Herod? And where all that stuff comes from is, is sin, right? If we're, we're just looking at it for what it is, it's sin. That, and what sin does to us is, is that sin makes us, well, kind of paranoid, Sin gets us into these areas in our lives where we become sort of Herods ourselves. Sin makes us into people who fear what might happen. And because there is sin in our world, we're afraid of what other people might do to us. And so we think, okay, well, we've got to do something to them before they do it to us. Or we get into this place where we're just insecure and we lash out at one another. Or we get into this, this idea of, okay, well, I am the most important person here. And so whatever I have to say has to go. And you kind of get into this, this understanding of, okay, well, sin is driving all of this stuff in Herod. And the same sin that is driving all of these murderous intents in Herod is the same sin that is driving your sinful behavior. And you get to this sort of sobering moment where you look at Herod and the despicable, horrible things that Herod does... And you begin to say, well, I haven't done the horrible things that Herod has done. But unfortunately, because I am a sinner, and because I live in a sinful world, I can understand how sin works. And I can understand that just like in my story, that a story without a villain, rings false and doesn't seem authentic. And in my story, I have to find a villain. And unfortunately, so often when I look around, I find out that the villain is right here. That the villain is the one who has the sin the villain is the one who falls into the temptation into sin. That the villain is the one who allows the devil to speak into their ear the idea of the sin and follows into that. And so often we find out that we are the Herods of our own stories. And maybe there's a little bit of us that goes, well, yeah, may, maybe I'll write myself a little bit of, of an excuse, you know. I, I, you know. I know I just said that I'm a poor, miserable sinner and all of that stuff, but I, I'm not that guy. <laughs> but maybe the reason that you're not that guy is because you get forgiven over and over and over again and that you're not like Herod and that you're not going through life without the forgiveness of sin, but that every time that you're forgiven of that sin, that, that it, it interrupts your, your heritism. 
It interrupts your villainy. That it interrupts how bad of a person that you could be. That when you get forgiven, that that's actually an amazing moment in your life because it resets your character. It resets your character to not be a villain. It resets your character to not be a Herod. And that moment is a moment of sanctuary. It's a moment where where you get to say, I'm going to retreat someplace. And we call this place a sanctuary. We call this room a sanctuary. And the reason that we call this room a sanctuary is that it's someplace where you can retreat to. It's someplace that you can say, I feel like I'm becoming a Herod. I feel like I'm becoming a villain. I feel like I'm a sinner. I need to retreat to someplace. I need to find sanctuary someplace. I need to be forgiven because I don't know what I would do if this continues to go. I don't trust myself to not be a villain. I don't trust myself to not be a Herod because I know my own sins and I know how deep they go into me. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing in this reading that what happens in the reading is that Jesus runs away. There's kind of this weird sense there because we're in the midst of a year where we're talking about following Jesus. We're in the midst of a year where we're saying, okay, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be his disciple? And here, what it means to be Jesus' disciple is Jesus gets carried away off into a foreign country. And you go, I, I don't know that that's right. Shouldn't Jesus, you know, infant Jesus stop and then just, you know, tell the, Rome, the, the Israelite soldiers, Herod soldiers, hey, stop killing those babies. And they, they stop and then it's a miracle and we're all good. But, but there's something to this, this thing of that Jesus is protected by the Father. That Jesus is taken away and then he's protected from the evil that can happen because of sin. And that is what you get to do when you come into the sanctuary. You get to be the Father's Son. You get to be the one whom he cares about. You get to be the one who is brought into the sanctuary and who is forgiven of their sins. And then you are sent back into your world with dangers that you have to figure out. But you're sent back forgiven Renewed and led by a father who cares enough for you to provide you with a sanctuary. A sanctuary of a building like this one, a sanctuary of his word, a sanctuary of his sacraments. And so may you this week recognize that there are villains in your world and that you are one of them. But may you also recognize that in this sanctuary, you are given forgiveness and love and protection by a Father who loves you very much. Amen.